Hello and welcome to the Friends Church Podcast. Glad you're here. Uh, it's good to be back with you. I'm going to get the previous sermons up here in the next uh, few weeks. I've been uh, traveling. I've been out of town. I've been in. Uh, I was in Southern California uh, for for work. I was in Arizona for pleasure, catching some spring training baseball with some family. And so here I am. I'm back. Um, and so my desire is to be more consistent with it, but. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there eventually. But thank you for uh, sticking with us. I'm glad you're here. Glad you're listening. Uh, so we're going to dive right into Joshua chapter 7. And if you've read Joshua chapter 6, um, that's when uh, the Israel, they get this victory in Jericho. And and it's really because God led them, right? God tells God tells them that they're to go and they're to march around the city for six days. And then on the seventh day, they're to march around it seven times. And then the priests are to blow the horn and they're to shout and the walls will come down. And sure enough, it happens. But in that, they're told when, when Jericho falls, you are not to touch any of the devoted things, meaning you're not to take anything for yourself Um, because what Jericho has been about they have been devoted to to destruction they've uh, and we see this with where Rahab lives remember Rahab is a prostitute who lives in the city walls the very weak and so they don't value the weak they don't value the poor Um, they take advantage of those people and God says you are not to participate in any of that you're not to touch any of the devoted things you're to leave it alone. And so this is so they they get this victory and this is where Joshua chapter 7 picks up. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Kamari, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Have you seen one of those uh, like horror movies where somebody is fleeing from somebody trying to get them? And they're they're always running in a remote place in like the woods, and then they come across this shack, right? This it's always a shack in the middle of nowhere, and they go in there thinking this is a good place to hide, and they're hiding in there, and it's just filled with saws and chainsaws, and you're thinking, get out of there, that's the worst place to be, and and this is kind of what's happening here, right? We read the first line, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things, and we know. This is the worst thing that can happen, right? This is this is absolutely the worst thing Israel could do, right? There, this is a nothing good is going to come forth from Israel being unfaithful, uh, and so the author he lets us in immediately in chapter seven. Hold on tight. This is not going to be pretty. So Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary the, arm, the whole army. For only a few people lived there. So about three thousand men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. So we see this pattern emerge. We've seen this before, right? Joshua, he sends spies. He did this and sent them uh, to spy out the land. Joshua, he sends spies to Ai now, and they report that, hey, you know what? This is going to be no problem. We, we've, we've, we've faced bigger um, 
problems before. Don't send everybody. It's no reason to stress everybody out. Let's just send 3,000. It'll be quick. It'll be dirty. Well, they send 3,000, and they get to the city gates, and they run them off the city gates. In fact, they're, they're actually kind of fearful. There's 3,000 there. They run from the city gates, and they get them pinned, and they kill 36, and they leave with their tail between uh, their legs. And so something happens in this sequence that we haven't seen in Joshua before. But what we know, if you notice that God hasn't spoken at all at this point, right? In chapter 7, God hasn't spoken at all. God did not uh, guide uh, the spies. In fact, it's the spies that are telling Joshua what to do. It's not God. The spies are telling Joshua, oh, only send 3,000 men. It'll be quick. It'll be easy. And I and I think this points to to a big cosmic problem that we can all relate to, right? Israel has had it good now, right? If you remember a few chapters ago, they cross the Jordan River. God goes in ahead of them. The waters part. They come out on the other side. In fact, the writer even now calls them. They're not just Israel, but now they're actually a nation. And they, they go and God leads them into Jericho. And it's because of God's leading that they actually conquered Jericho and they have victory there. And so they have it good. And so here's the cosmic problem. When we get what we want, we stop depending on God. Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that true for us? When, when we have it good, we really stop crying out to God. right? When we have it bad, though, we will we'll cry out to God, God, I need you. This is terrible. Lord, come and help me. Lord, save me. But oftentimes when things are good, we find ourselves actually... We, we, we don't cry out to Yahweh, do we? In fact, we might even stop listening to him. And this is what's happened with Israel. They get this victory at Jericho. They send some spies. And now the spies are the ones who are leading them. It is not God. And so I want to talk about three lies that we believe when we have it good. I think there are three lies, and I'm sure there's more, but but I want to talk about three lies that we believe when we have it good. And this first one is this. The first is this. We believe we are incomplete. Now, now that seems kind of contradictory, right? When we have it good, we think all is right. But really, I think ultimately, we think we are incomplete. Now, if you go back to the Genesis story, in Genesis chapter 3, Eve is tempted by a, a snake to, to eat of the fruit when she was told not to. Well, actually, Adam was told not to, but Adam had relayed information. Eve knew that they're not to, uh, they're not to participate in that. And, uh, and what is she tempted to believe is that she is somehow incomplete, that she will become like God. She will know the difference between good and evil, and she will actually have wisdom. You see, what she actually believes about herself, when she has it good, when she is uh, in the garden and everything is how it's supposed to be, she is led to believe that she is somehow incomplete. In fact, what she is isn't enough and she's tempted that there is more. This is the whole reason why Vegas can exist, right? Because it's all the allure that you can have more. Right? Think about it. If you go to Vegas, you go, you have, let's say you have a hundred dollars. 
you get there, you have a hundred dollars and you're just like, you know, I'm just going to play with this hundred dollars, whatever happens. If I lose it, great. And so what do you do? You go and you start playing and you win. Now, now you're at $500 and now you're just playing with house money. Right. And, 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 and what do you do? There's always this allure that there could be more. And then once you have it, you eventually lose it, right? Vegas would be bankrupt if people didn't believe that there could be more, right? Vegas knows that people will always push for more. And I think this is so true of ourselves, isn't it? Right? When we have it good, when, we've, when God has given us victory, what do, we, what do we tend to do? We think we have it good, and, and all of a sudden, we want a little bit more. That there has to be more than all of this. And maybe at times, God is actually calling us to be content. Right? Which really points to a, a human problem that we are very incontent at times. Even when God gives us the victory, sometimes we view that we're incomplete and we have to get even more. So the first lie, when we have it good, this is a cosmic problem, right? When we have it good, we still think we are incomplete. Let's go on. Line number two. We assume that God is for us no matter what we do. We, we often assume that God is for us when we have it good, when things are going well, that God is for us no matter what we do. So think of it. So Achan, he's the one who, who takes the devoted things. And I imagine that here they are, they've gotten this victory and there's this promise that, that God is with them, right? God, there's this promise that God is with them. And I think sometimes when we believe that God is with us, that means that we can go and do whatever we want. And that means that God is actually going to be for whatever we do, which I think is, is a lie. And so maybe Achan, he types the devoted things, maybe thinking that God is for us. It's interesting that before they go into Jericho, Joshua encounters uh, a, a being the commander of the Lord's army. And what does Joshua ask? He's, he asks, whose side are you on? Are you with us or are you with them? And the commander of the Lord's army says, I'm, I'm not on either side. Which I think is fascinating, right? Like, like the people of God, we always assume that God is for them whatever they do. And that's actually not true. God is not for us regardless of what we do. I'm reminded of Jeremiah chapter 7. Uh, if you remember, in, uh, uh, so eventually Israel, they're, they're split up. You have 10 tribes in the north and two tribes in the south. And and Jeremiah, he's speaking at a time when the, the tribes in the north, their place of worship has been decimated. It's now a hole in the ground. And now there's been prophets that have come to the, the tribes in the, in the south that have said, surely God is not going to destroy uh, this temple. God, in fact, he loves the temple. There's nothing that would cause God to destroy the temple. And, and here's Jeremiah's words. He's speaking to his own people. He says this. This is the word. This is Jeremiah chapter 7, starting in verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. 
Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless." See, the reality is, is God will destroy us if we fail to be his people, right? Just because God has blessed you once does not give you permission to act on your own accord, to do whatever you see fit, And so just because God is with you does not always mean that God is actually always for you. Because the reality is, and this is the message that Jeremiah is proclaiming, that if we fail to be the Lord's people, if we're not looking out for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, and we're and we're shedding innocent blood and we're following other gods, if we're if if we're doing those things, if we're ignoring the foreigner, if we're doing if we're ignoring the fatherless, if we're ignoring the widow, if we're worshiping other gods and we're killing innocent people. God's not for us, and he will destroy this temple. He will destroy it. See, God will destroy whatever does not bring honor to him. And I think this is so true of the church today. And I, and, and I have to look at this, and this is not... This is about us, church. This is about us who call ourselves the people of God. God will destroy whatever does not bring him honor. As soon as we stop being the church, as soon as we stop acting on faith, as soon as we stop reaching out to the marginalized, as soon as we stop extending a hand to the foreigner, as soon as we start making decisions based on our own comfort rather than ministry, as soon as we stop proclaiming the good news, we will cease to be the church. Now, God is always with us. Yes, he is. He's with us when we are unfaithful. But God is not always for us. And I think that's so important for us to grasp is that we can't just go and do whatever we want and think that God is going to bless it, that God is going to give it the rubber stamp of approval because we are we are his church. If we fail to be his people, if we fail to act on faith, if we are not reaching out to the marginalized, if we're not extending a hand to the foreigner, the people who aren't like us, it's not it's not somebody from a distant country, it's the people who are just different than you. It's the people the foreigner is the person who isn't like you. The foreigner is the person who has a who has different political views than you. The foreigner could be your neighbor that you dislike. As soon as we stop extending a hand, being the church, being God's people, he's not going to bless it. Reggie McNeil, 
He writes this, we can keep trying to get them to want what we have or what we can start offering what they need. They need what people always need, God in their lives. This spiritual reality is what makes this such a tough transition. The North American church culture is not spiritual enough to reach our culture. Man, those are hard words, aren't they? They're harsh because because the reality is, is when we stop being God's people, when we stop following after God, we think God is just going to keep blessing us. Turns out that we're not even spiritual enough to reach our culture. And then we wonder why we are dying as a people. Let's go on to the third lie. Third lie that we believe when we have it good. And it's this, following God does not cost us anything. I think this is so true for us here in the Western world. That I think we, we believe that, that, that following God would not actually cost us anything. That we would not have to sacrifice to follow God. You see, for Achan, it's actually a sacrifice for him to not touch the devoted things. Because in Achan's culture, there's people all around him, other people groups, that I'm sure all have things like the things that Achan took. And God is saying, I want you, Israel, to be different. You're not to participate. You're not to have those things. And so it's a sacrifice for Israel to not have the things that everybody else has around them. If they're to be different. And so for us, we, we have to have a theology of sacrifice. We have to be sacrificial people. Reminds me of the story in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, right? They, they, they see what God is doing in the church and, and they want to be a part of it. And, and so what's happening is people are selling uh, their land and their goods and they're, they're giving it to the church and, and the church is just redistributing it and everybody's taken care of. And, and I think Ananias and Sapphira, they see this and like, oh, this is a great thing. We want to be a part of this. And so what they do is they sell their land and they give a portion of what was sold to the church, but they lead people to believe that they gave the whole portion when in fact they, they didn't give it all. And because... And so Ananias and Sapphira, they both die. And I, and I think the message in this is that you can't, you can't just half go in. You can't just be halfway in in the body. You can't just say, oh, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to participate in the body of the church. I'm going to, I'm going to listen to God when it's convenient for me. I think something has happened in our in our American culture, and and to be honest, I don't really understand it. I'm, I I try to understand it, and I feel like I have blinders in some ways, and and it's probably just because I've grown up in the church and I've always gone to church is what I do, um, and and part of that is the way my parents brought me up, and I and I can't imagine not being part of a church body like that. That's like a foreign concept to me, and. But I understand in our culture, for a lot of people, being part of a church is sacrifice. It's a sacrifice to be part of a body. It's a sacrifice to be held accountable. And this is a weird thing for us, isn't it? Is that is that we, we want to be Christians. We want to be in on what God is doing in the world. But we don't want to have to give anything up. 
The reality is, is that following God will cost you your comfort. Achan, it costs him his comfort. Everybody else has these things, but God's people are told they're not to have them. These are the things that bring comfort in his culture. Following God will cost you your finances. I, I remember as a, as a kid, I was at a church camp. And the, the speaker, you know, at the end of every camp, we'd, they'd take up an offering. And I was, I was 11 or 12, and this has always stuck with me. But he said, you know, when you give, you're supposed to give until it hurts. And I think, I think that's so true for us as the church is that we're supposed to sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice if it doesn't cost you anything. I remember hearing a story about a, a lady going to a pastor and saying, you know, pastor, I'm, as, soon as, as soon as I have a lot of money, as soon as I have a million dollars, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a large portion of it to the church. And, and the pastor asked, you know, well, well, why don't you give now? And it's, well, well, I don't have I don't have a whole lot a whole lot to give now. It, it would cost a lot. I'd go without. You see, sometimes we're amazed at people who give large amounts of money, and and I'm sure they're doing it out of the goodness of their heart. And and we need people who are generous with large amounts of money. But we have to remember that it's only a sacrifice if it hurts. It's only a sacrifice if it costs something. And so sometimes when we have it good, the lie that we believe is that we can give, we can participate in the body, and it not cost us anything. Following God requires sacrifice. So this is the cosmic problem that Israel faces. That they now have it good. It's better than it has ever been before. And then what we discover is that they're doing the very thing that God didn't want them to do. See, we buy into these lies when we have it good. Let's go on here. Um, So... In Joshua chapter 7, what what Joshua does is he calls all the tribes and families to come and confess. And and so Achan, he finally comes and he confesses to defiling Israel. And so this is is what Israel does in uh, in starting in verse 24 of chapter 7. Then Joshua, together with Israel, took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent and all he had to the valley of Encore. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up large, a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, what, therefore that place has been called the Valley of Anchor ever since. See, it, there's a solution to the problem. There's a solution to the lies that we believe when we have it good. There's a solution to the cosmic problem. And what we need to do with the cosmic problem is we need to destroy it. We need to destroy the problem. Now, what's interesting uh, in this is this is not a, uh, a prescription 
it's descriptive, right? Like we, as the people of God, we are not to stone people. We're not to kill their families and all that they have as a, as a punishment. It's not a, it's not a prescription of how we are to behave, but it's a description of what we are to do. We have to get rid of the sin. Because when we get what we want, we forget about God. So what we have to do is we have to destroy the cosmic problem. Uh, We have to destroy the sin. And how do we destroy it? Is we confess it. And we turn to Jesus. We have to confess our sin. We have to confess that we are guilty and participating in the cosmic problem. That when we have it good, we buy into these lies. That we believe that we are incomplete. That we believe that God will just will bless us regardless of what we do. That we believe that we don't have to sacrifice when we have it good. See, we have to destroy the cosmic problem. We have to confess and turn to Jesus. We don't like confession, do we? We don't like to admit that we've done it wrong. But what Israel has to do is they have to get rid of the problem. They have to destroy it. And the way that we destroy the problem is we confess it. We acknowledge it and we hand it over to Jesus. Because Jesus on the cross pays for the lies that you have believed and offers us redemption for eternity. And so today, what are the things that you need to confess? What are those things that you need to, you need to acknowledge that I have participated in that are actually leading to brokenness and destruction? What are those sins that you need to go before the Lord and say, God, I'm guilty? And so I, I feel that I need to do this as well. And so... Um, I did this on Sunday, and I shared with my church about some of my struggles. And so uh, one of the ways that that I often find myself struggling is with my value. Uh, uh, And and I often, and the way that plays out is I, I believe these lies that sometimes I'm only worth what I can produce. I'm only worth to my family to my church, what I can offer. And so because of that lie of seeing my value, only what I can produce and what I can offer, sometimes I I act out in that. I act out and I make sure that I make myself so valuable that they can't live without me. That I try to make myself so valuable That the institution depends on me. And really that has to do with where I think my value comes from. And so today I confess, Lord, help me to see my worth because I am your child. Lord, not in my perfection, not in in the things that I do, but Lord, help me to see my worth and my value because I am yours. You see, just as one man can defile a people and cause destruction in this chapter, one man can redeem it all. 
one man can redeem and restore all of our brokenness. And so today, will you go to the Lord? Will you repent and know that there is life? That there is life on the other side. That Jesus has paid it all. And we can go to him with confidence that he will deliver us through. Have a blessed week.